Malpractice, Munchausen's by proxy, malingering ending with the palliative care of a young girl. This is the sad case of Olivia Gant and how Kelly Turner used the medical system to torture her daughter. Trigger warnings, medical abuse, medical language, Munchausen's, child death and dying. We completely understand if this particular case is going to cover topics that you feel will compromise your own mental health and you elect not to listen to this case. Take care and we hope to see you another time. With trigger warnings out of the way, now let's get to know the victim. Olivia Gamp was born in June 2010 in Texas to her parents, Jeff and Kelly. Four years before her death, she moved to Colorado with her mom. Although the reasons for the move were unclear, her dad, Jeff, stayed in Texas. She was described as the family's princess, refusing to wear hospital gowns and opting for every little girl's favorite of princess fancy dress. She always came back from the hospital with a smile. When she was able to, she adored school and being at school with her teachers and her friends. She also enjoyed days out with her family at local Dairy Queen, the zoo and Dinosaur Ridge. With all the hospital stays, it is little wonder that she is described as having a very vivid imagination, capable of entertaining herself and others. She loved vanilla ice cream and was well informed on her favourite topics of dinosaurs and sharks. She was a loving child, had a great imagination. She loved to talk and just just loved life, you know? She loved life. She loved watching movies and she could watch a movie one time and the next time she watched it, she could be saying word for word what the characters were saying. That's, that's just how smart she was, you know? She was described as a social, energetic patient and a bright, talkative girl who played with dolls, enjoyed watching movies on an iPad, and took walks to the hospital gift store. It was also noted that she struggled with anxiety and would cry, scream, and thrash to try to get away whenever she knew a surgery was imminent. In 2014, Children's Hospital Colorado featured Olivia in its promotional material and called the then four-year-old Olivia a firecracker in a brochure about the hospital's in-house radio. It is reported that posters featuring Olivia smiling with doctors went up throughout the hospital as well. A nurse aide recalled in an interview with the Denver Post that she stood out in a sense. Her picture was printed on posters all over the hospital. She was on the news. Any toy drive, we knew she was going to get the biggest, baddest ass toys. And what she wanted, she got. And the mum had that attitude too. Do you think we could do this? Do you think we could do that? And it's like, well, it's not typically something we do, but okay. It is regretful that we cannot cover Olivia and her life without discussing her hospital stays and medical procedures, since so much of her brief time on this earth was spent in hospital. The family's attorney stating that Olivia had over 1,000 hospital visits and underwent over 25 unnecessary surgical procedures. In her obituary, it states that whenever she returned from hospital, she was always immediately ready to play with her older sisters. And in hindsight, this was a red flag to her mother's mental health. 
The last few months of her life was well featured on the local news. She was allowed to be the honorary police chief with Denver Police Department for a day and a firefighter for a day with South Metro Fire Rescue as part of her bucket list. Make-A-Wish Foundation hosted a surprise where she got to rescue princesses from villains dressed up as Bat Princess. Olivia Gant died at age seven. She had been a long-standing member of Children's Hospital Colorado Society before Kelly Turner opted to remove care and signed a DNR, which means do not resuscitate. And she received comfort care at a Denver hospital facility. Purely because I came across this while I was reading about Olivia, one article covering this case in the Denver Post states that she was only fed popsicles and juice for the 19 days before her death. I want to stress that under normal circumstances, that isn't necessarily something that is harmful to the patient. Typically, um, when we're dying, our body needs to reduce the amount of intakes to allow organs to ship down peacefully. So it's actually a common practice for those in hospice care to stop wanting food and water as it's a natural part of death and dying. Obviously, in this instance, it's absolutely harrowing to hear about, but I just wanted to reassure everyone for if they go through it with their own loved ones, it's not, it's, it's not a torture necessarily speaking. Thank you for that, Turtle. It's very much appreciated and I do hope that some may find that comforting to know, especially when we cover this case. Kelly Turner. Kelly Turner is currently aged 45. She began posting about Olivia and her medical journey on a personal blog. She claimed that the reason behind the move from Texas to Colorado was to allow Olivia to receive better medical care. But according to the affidavit, the move followed a divorce from Jeff as his medical insurance would not cover Olivia's medical bills, or so this was claimed and this made her eligible for Medi-Aid. In 2015, Turner claimed that Olivia's recovery was nearly hopeless and set a GoFundMe page, which raised $20,000. A year after Olivia's passing, she took one of Olivia's older sisters to a doctor claiming she'd been receiving chemotherapy. This wasn't the case. In August 2011, Kelly Turner began blogging about Olivia and her middle sister's alleged medical needs. Many of the diagnoses that she listed were later revealed to be totally false. In an application Turner made on the 31st of July 2013, she listed herself as divorced from the father of her daughters, Jeff Gant, and also listed him as an absent parent. Jeff worked in Texas and wasn't able to move with them. It was in the same 2014 brochure that we've already mentioned that Turner was quoted as saying, this is the studio in one word, healing. You forget about the sickness, about the pain, the pokes and the prods and the meds. You remember, I'm Olivia, or I'm mom. Turner really seems to truly care and advocate for Olivia. She was the doting, loving mom to everyone who met her. The family were a higher profile than other patients on the ward with similar conditions and symptoms. The medical background. 
So in this next section, we may bombard you with a lot of medical information, but we feel it is vital to really show the levels of medical intervention Olivia underwent unnecessarily. We have also attempted to break down some of the medical jargon so that it's a bit easier to understand and build a picture as to what Turner was really doing. Olivia was taken to the Children's Hospital Colorado for treatment related to severe constipation in 2012. The removal of the hardened stool from the girl's colon was successful. However, due to Turner's claims, Olivia eventually had an ostomy. In actuality, it wasn't until November 2014 that Olivia underwent an ileostomy. Her constipation improved, but Turner reported she wouldn't eat, and so a feeding tube was put in through her nose. An ostomy causes a change in the way that urine or stool exits the body. It is the result of a surgical procedure where the bodily waste is rerouted from its usual path because of malfunctioning parts of the urinary or digestive system. It can be temporary or permanent, depending on the cause that has led to the need of an ostomy. The opening that is created by the ostomy surgery is known as a stoma. In most cases of ostomies, a pouch is worn over the stoma to collect stool or urine, though for some people it is possible to have a continent diversion, which is an alternative to a conventional ostomy and eliminates the necessity for a pouch. Ostomy surgery is a life-saving procedure that allows bodily waste to pass through a surgically created stoma on the abdomen into a prosthetic, which is known as a pouch or an ostomy bag, which is also located outside of the body. According to the affidavit, Turner claimed that Olivia was treated at the National Jewish for eczema and allergies and said the test results had come back that Olivia had some severe allergies. Turner is quoted as saying, Olivia was autistic so they never really knew if she just didn't like the colour of something or if she was really allergic to it. She claims that Olivia was allergic to peanuts, tree nuts, chocolate protein in some milks, cats and certain pollen. She also claimed that Olivia had several food aversions. Can I just insert there? Mm. Like, there is a huge difference between liking the colour of something and having an allergy. That just doesn't make sense to me, what she said to the police. Just because someone's autistic doesn't mean that and they don't like the colour of something or they don't like the taste of something doesn't create conf confusion as to whether or not they're allergic to it. I think that maybe Kelly was trying to go for Arfid and then just didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but then it's like with your milk protein allergy, it causes a reaction vomiting, stomach cramps, diarrhea, all those sorts of symptoms. So you would, it's not just based off whether the child will or will not eat it with an allergy. Um, nut allergies, you get anaphylactic shock or, you know, that sort of thing. That tells you that there is a physiological, this person is allergic to it. A child refusing to eat it doesn't say anything really, it just says that there's potentially a food aversion of some description. With my own food allergies, it's kind of like I don't 
like the taste of it and then I reacted afterwards. So mm -hmm. maybe there's a level of instinct there. So Olivia didn't like the food and then came up with some kind of rash or something afterwards and the only logical thing was a food allergy or maybe she was trying to justify some of the medical procedures that she'd put Olivia through. Potentially, that is really interesting to note though. I'm going to look into that later. In 2013, Turner claimed that Olivia had developmental delays and this later led to a diagnosis with autism. This is important to note as sensory sensitivities often coincide with autism. Sensory issues that can be found with autism usually include hypersensitivity or hyposensitivity to a range of stimuli. An alternative description to this is over-responsiveness and under-responsiveness. The range of stimuli include the following, sounds, sights, smells, tastes, and touch. Due to the fact that some with autism can be hypersensitive to stimuli, it results in narrowing food selections as well as ritualistic eating behaviours adopted by children with autism, who are five times more likely to experience such behaviours. Food aversion, or sensory food aversion, is a sensory overreaction by individuals to certain types of food. The taste, temperature, colour, smell or texture of the food can trigger sensory issues in these individuals. This can cause autistic individuals to be food selective, leading to major problems in their feeding. During the time Olivia was at Children's Hospital, Turner convinced doctors to prescribe her daughter Kepra, an anti-seizure medication. This despite medical reports showing doctors never actually witnessed Olivia suffering from a seizure. In July 2014, a neurologist determined that Olivia didn't have seizures and needed to stop taking medication for them. However, she continued to take the anti-seizure drug until shortly before her death. She was kept on a strong anti-seizure medication called Kepra medication, despite no doctor ever having witnessed her having a seizure. Since this is your type of thing typically, Echo, off you go. Thank you, Turtle. Kepra is an anticonvulsant medication used to treat epilepsy. I would use its actual name rather than its brand name, however, unfortunately, I cannot pronounce it to save my life. It is a prescription medication used to treat certain types of seizures in those with epilepsy, including partial onset seizures, myoclonic seizures, and tonic-clonic seizures. Kepra is sometimes used with other seizure medications to treat tonic-clonic seizures in people who are at least six years old, and myoclonic seizures in people at least 12 years old. Like all drugs, Kepra has side effects, and some of the most severe side effects are as follows. Unusual changes in mood or behavior. This can involve unusual risk-taking behavior or being irritable or talkative, more talkative than usual. Confusion, hallucinations, extreme drowsiness, feeling very weak or tired. Loss of balance or coordination, problems with walking or movement. Skin rashes, varying from very mild to very severe. Easy bruising and unusual bleeding. 
fevers, chills, weakness, and other signs of infection. If you are epileptic, prescribed Keppra, and you've ever experienced any of these symptoms I've just mentioned, even if it was only once, please do contact your doctor. The more common side effects can include dizziness, drowsiness, tiredness, and weakness, feeling aggressive or irritable, headaches, loss of appetite, stuffy nose or itchy throat, infection, nausea and vomiting. And again, if you are experiencing any of them, it's best to let your doctor know just to be on the safe side so there's a record of it. It is always best just to stay on the cautionary side when it comes to medications. Play it safe. Back on the case. According to the affidavit, Turner claimed that two doctors, Dr. Graham, who was a hospice doctor and a gastroenterologist, and Dr. Jason Sodden, both agreed that Olivia was only receiving 30% nutrition through the TPM. She said it was Dr. Sodden that signed off on Olivia's hospice admission paperwork. Turner signed a do not resuscitate, and Olivia was transferred to the Denver Hospice Facility on the 2nd of August 2017, where she passed away on the 20th of August 2017. Olivia had three different types of feeding tubes surgically implanted at various different points, as it was reported by Turner that she experienced intense pain when eating. It was in January 2015 that a more permanent feeding tube was inserted through Olivia's abdomen, known as a gastrojejunoostomy feeding tube, also known as a GJO, replacing the temporary tube in her nose. A gastrostomy is a surgical opening through the skin of the abdomen leading to the stomach. It is here that a GJ device is inserted through the opening and then onto the first part of the small intestine, known as the jejunum. The purpose of such a device being fitted is to provide liquids that could be delivered directly into the small intestine and bypass the mouth, throat and stomach. It also allows for access to the stomach to draw off excess air, test the contents of the stomach through a pH test, provide drainage or possibly give medications directly into the stomach. The feed solution contains all of the necessary nutrients required for growth and development, as well as supplying an adequate amount of calories. The device is also used to give medicines. Peg J devices need to be replaced every 18 months and the balloon devices need to be replaced every 6 months. A GJ device is a combination of a gastromy device, a device that is inserted into the stomach, and a jejunostomy device, which is placed in the first part of the intestines known as the... All GJ devices have two ports, so to speak. One ends in the jejunum and the other one in the stomach. They are clearly labelled so that it is clear which port ends where. GJ feeding is rarely used as the first method of enteral feeding used. Usually, nasogastric and gastrostomy feeding are attempted first. However, in some cases, the patient may need to be started on GJ feeding without trying gastrostomy feeding first. It is usually suggested after gastrostomy feeding has been unsuccessful. Children or young people with gastroesophageal reflux disease may benefit from GJ feeding as the feed is directly into the jejunum instead of the stomach 
which prevents the stomach content from traveling back up the esophagus. This can then prevent pain and potential chest infections if the reflux is inhaled into the lungs. Olivia was placed on a total parenteral nutrition, also known as TPN, in June 2015 after Turner argued that the other feeding tube methods have been failing to work. A TPN is a method of feeding that bypasses the gastrointestinal tract entirely. It requires a special formula which is given through, the, through a vein which provides the nutrients the body needs. This method is only used when someone can't or shouldn't receive feedings or fluids by the mouth. The amount of time a person may require a TPN for varies and it is all dependent on the condition that has caused the need for the TPN. It is also at this time that Olivia underwent feeding therapy at hospital and improved her ability to eat normal food. She said that when Olivia was at home, nurses and doctors would visit to check her lines for infection and that it had been infected six or seven times. In October 2015, a memo from the company providing home health care for Olivia flagged three antihistamines on her medications list which, when combined with the oxycodone she was taking, can amplify the negative side effects of the opioids. This could have led to the point where her intestines temporarily lost the ability to push food along. However, it's unclear as to whether Olivia ever experienced this side effect. In May 2017, Turner claimed that Olivia's bladder was no longer functioning properly and this led to her daughter undergoing a mitrofanoff, also known as a continent catheterizable channel. This is where a tube is created from the appendix or small intestine which connects the bladder to the surface of the skin. It is tunneled into the bladder in such a way that a valve is created which prevents urine leakage. It is tunneled into the bladder in such a way that a valve is created which prevents urine leakage. The catheter isn't left in place permanently. It is passed into the bladder every three to four hours or when the bladder is full and once the urine and mucus have, has drained, it is once again removed. With a continent catheterizable channel, regular bladder emptying is essential to prevent urine infections or bladder stones developing and it ensures that the child remains dry. She also claimed that at seven years old, Olivia had no idea how to use the toilet and was still having to use diapers. On March 24, 2017, Turner requests that Olivia not be resuscitated if her heart stops or given naloxone if her breathing stops because of the large doses of opioids that she is receiving. We've covered a bit about naloxone in the Corey Richards case, but as a recap, off you go again, Echo. Thank you. So naloxone is an opioid antagonist that can be used to quickly reverse an opioid overdose. An opioid antagonist is a type of medication that attaches to opioid receptors to reverse and block the ongoing effects of an opioid agonist drug. Between March 27th to the March 28th, 2017, Olivia's care team raises concerns that the amount of stool in Olivia's ostomy bag and the amount recorded in her chart don't add up. This is important because the amount of stool is a clue as to how well Olivia's intestines are functioning. A monitor is assigned to the room and the amount of stool improves significantly. Doctors aren't sure if she's improved on her own or the medicine that they've given her has helped or if the monitor has prevented tampering. 
On the 29th of March 2017, Turner requests that Olivia be placed in hospice. On July the 11th, 2017, a doctor refuses to renew an order not to resuscitate Olivia if her heart stops or give her naloxone if she overdoses on prescribed opioids, precipitating a series of ethics meetings. The hospital's child protection team finds no reason to alert the Department of Human Services to the potential of medical child abuse, according to medical records. A different doctor later on signs the order. Dr. Sodden became Olivia's primary GI doctor in January 2017. He recalled that Turner had claimed Olivia's body was rejecting the TPN, to which he clarified that it doesn't happen. And Dr. Sodden and other medical staff members held discussions with Turner about reducing Olivia's dependency on the TPN. However, they were met with Turner's refusals as she claimed that she had already tried that. He claimed that Turner pressed the issue that Olivia's quality of life was poor and it was impacted by her pain, dependency on the TPN and an inability to sustain feeds. She wanted to withdraw all medical care and TPN nutrition. Dr. Sodden discovered that Olivia was placed on in-home palliative care and was in receipt of heavy doses of narcotics without the knowledge of the pain management team. According to the affidavit, Turner claimed that Olivia took several medications that were trial medications and not certified by the FDA. Olivia also took medications that were not suitable for anyone under the age of 18. It is reported that some of the doctors at Children's believed Turner's claims that Olivia had autism and that this led to them believing that Olivia was just not able to fully articulate her symptoms of pain levels. This also led to them relying on Turner to fill in the blanks and gave Turner the power to push for Olivia to receive additional pain medications, even when Olivia was showing no signs of distress. We must emphasize that autism affects every individual differently and an individual's ability to communicate should be assessed on an individual basis. No two people with autism are the same as their characteristics and traits are unique to them. And this is a very stereotyped assumption of autism. Pediatric healthcare professionals are trained to trust parents though. And this very well may have contributed to the assumption Dr. Benjamin Levi, a pediatrician and founding director of Penn State Center for the Protection of Children, is quoted as saying, we as healthcare providers are programmed, reasonably so, to believe parents. I wasn't at the house last night to determine whether the kid had a fever of 104. So I say, has he had a fever in the last two days? And they say, yes, 104. Okay, I write 104 fever. Now, if I have reason to be sceptical, then you start to look more critically. Crime Online reported that Turner had previously claimed Olivia was diagnosed with neurogastrointestinal encephalomyopathy, a disease with a name to a similar known mitochondrial disorder. To provide an overview of this disease, rarediseases.org says, mitochondrial neurogastrointestinal encephalomyopathy, also known as Minji is a rare multi-system disorder characterized by the progressive degeneration of the muscles of the gastrointestinal tract, causing gastrointestinal dysmotility, weakness of the extraocular muscles, causing drooping of the eyelids, also known as ptosis, and a restricted eye movements. 
degeneration of the peripheral nerves cause, causing altered sensation and weakness of the distal arms and legs, as well as general wasting away. The specific symptoms associated with Munji vary from case to case and may include vomiting, nausea, diarrhea, abdominal pain and numbness or sensations of pins and needles in the hands and feet. Additional findings may occur in some cases. Menji is, ca is caused by changes or mutations in the TYMP gene encoding thymidine phosphorylase TP and is inherited in autosomal recessive trait. MNGIE patients also show changes e.g. depletions, deletions or point mutations in the genetic material or DNA of the mitochondria. Mitochondria, found by the hundreds within virtually every cell of the body, generate most of the cellular energy through respiratory chain enzymes, which convert electrons derived from sugars and fats into ATP, the energy currency of the cell. The genetic blueprints for essential components of the respiratory chain are mitochondrial DNA. Disorders due to mitochondrial dysfunction often cause defects of the respiratory chain. These are called mitochondrial disease. Because energy is essential for many tissue functions, mitochondrial diseases typically affect multiple organs of the body. It is important to note that it is recorded that a month before the intestinal failure was listed on Olivia's records, Stafford documented her eating small amounts of food with no apparent issues. Her doctors noted that she must have either been eating some foods or have an unusually low metabolic rate as her TPM wasn't providing enough nutrition to explain her relatively stable weight. Through GoFundMe, Turner managed to raise $20,000 for Olivia's medical treatment while in receipt of Medicaid. For all intents and purposes, she appeared to be a caring and loving mother, determined to ensure her daughter received the care that she needed. It was her GoFundMe campaign that she created in July 2015 that Turner publicly stated that Olivia added a new diagnosis to her already long list. Now in addition to a tumour, developmental delays, seizures, autism, sensory processing disorder, focal cortical dysplasia, digestive issues and hydrocephalus, Olivia had neurogastrointestinal encephalopathy which she defined as a degenerative mitochondrial disorder that causes the entire body to shut down a system at a time. Turner claimed in the campaign that the disease would eventually lead to her death. Turner began the GoFundMe campaign with the following quote. This is the story about a sweet little princess that everyone has grown to love. Later, she would be described by medical staff as being a high maintenance mother. But most didn't suspect the darkness subtly lurking in the background. I just want to cut in, put an insert in here. When your child is actually ill and in need of medical support, a medical intervention, there is a lot worse than you could be than being a high maintenance mother. All that means is that you ask the doctors and nurses a lot of questions you've often needed assurances you often sort out potentially differential diagnosis to 
make sure that everything was covered and every possibility had been looked into. When we were actually researching this case, I did come across about um, some parents and mothers being misdiagnosed as being Munchausen's by proxy simply because they were viewed as high maintenance mothers and that was due to the fact that they had anxiety surrounding their children's health and so they would be like quite pushy to have them checked investigated but then when they'd get the results they'd be really happy that nothing would come up and that was the difference um as well so even if it's a kid with just a cold and you're an overly anxious parent um you know sometimes you can be a high maintenance parent and it's just because you are worried or overly anxious and you just love your kid that much. Yeah, I agree. The point I wanted to make is that if I was to be called a high maintenance mother, for example, I would shake that person's hand and go, thank you. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I know mom guilt is awful and an absolute demon and I just didn't want people who were going through medical issues with their kids getting told they're a high maintenance mother or a high maintenance father or a high maintenance parent to have that sit on them as like a massive mum guilt thing or a parent guilt thing. That's why I insert as well about overly anxious parents. Especially when it's your first kid you are generally more anxious and mum guilt is an absolute pain in the backside that a lot of us get forced to endure. I would 10 out of 10 be a high maintenance mother because of because of my anxiety. My two mini turtles, I became nocturnal for my uh, biggest mini turtle and um, slept in shifts for my mini mini turtle. Well, it's like my lad um, having to push to get him seen because he was struggling. I would rather be a high maintenance mother and have them think of me as being high maintenance than watch him struggle like hell like he was doing. And still is to a degree. Exactly. Back onto the case, we are now looking at the unfortunate thing that is Olivia's final days. It was in July 2015 that Turner first posted online that Olivia had a terminal illness, though her medical records showed no such disease. In 2017, Turner gave Olivia's supporters some devastating news. There was no cure for her little girl's health problems, and she was now terminally ill. At the same time, as we've already mentioned, Turner claimed to doctors that keeping her daughter alive was unfair because she had no quality of life and thus she requested that the feeding tubes be removed. The doctors disagreed with this, so Turner just changed doctors and found a doctor who was willing to sign a DNR on Olivia in order to let her die in peace. After this was in place, Turner then appealed to the public to aid her in completing Olivia's bucket list of all the things she longed to do before she died. And what followed was a rush of offers. 
Olivia wanted to help catch a bad guy, so the Colorado police got involved as she spent a day with them, with her being made Honorary Chief of Denver Police Department. The Make-A-Wish Foundation got involved and organised an $11,000 party where Olivia was able to fulfil her dream of being a Bat Princess. She even got the opportunity to help the South Metro Fire Rescue by being a firefighter for a day and through it all she became an overnight celebrity. She was featured on news reports after she had posed with the first responders. Can I just put an insert here? Like, just look at what her bucket list was. She wanted to be a superhero, essentially. She wanted to help catch a bad guy. She wanted to help by being a firefighter. She was, you can just see from her own bucket list how much she wanted to help people. And she would have been such a shining light of a contribution to society if she was still with us, just by looking at what her bucket list was. Yeah, definitely. Then the dreadful time came in July when Turner convinced doctors to withdraw all medical care and without those feeding tubes it was believed that Olivia wouldn't survive so she was taken to a hospice for her final days. It's reported that Olivia, being such a cheerful and happy child, sang Disney songs at first with her favourite reported as being Hakuna Matata, as the days went on, she grew quieter and quieter as she began to starve to death and whenever she said she was hungry, melted popsicle juice was rubbed on her lips using a sponge. When she lay there, dying in a Denver hospice bed, her step-grandfather, Lonnie Gatru, sat beside her and held her hand despite her being unconscious and heavily sedated. He told media outlets that on one particular day, when he knew she was near death, and a few minutes of him, oh, and after a few minutes of him holding her hand, she came to and recognised him. She lifted her head off of the pillow and looked him in the eyes and said, "Poor Paul, I'm hungry." He said that he was angry because he believed that her intestines were failing and her little body was shutting down. He was so angry at the disease that was stealing such a beautiful little girl from the world far too soon. And he believed that there was absolutely nothing anyone could do to save Olivia. He claimed that Kelly walked in and said, She's not really hungry. It's the medication. Dip the sponge in the popsicle juice and put it on her lips and tongue. It ripped him apart. And the second deep cutting pain that tore through his heart was losing Olivia two days later. A bit of history regarding Lonnie, because he truly did love Olivia with all of his heart. In November 2014, Turner told Lonnie and his wife that Olivia had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, a rare untreatable genetic disorder, and that she had just over two years to live. So. So they packed up everything in Houston, where they lived, and moved to Colorado to be with Olivia and with their other two granddaughters, and to help Kelly. Two days before she died, I was in a hospice, and I was holding her little hand, and she was on these heavy narcotics, and the only thing they were giving her was popsicle juice, you know, and, and toward the end, on a sponge even. 
and I was holding her hand and she opened her eyes and she recognized me immediately and says, Papa, I'm hungry. At the time, Lonnie said he was mad at this mysterious set of illnesses taking his granddaughter's life. Then, a year and a half later, Olivia's mother is charged with her death, multiple doctors on record telling investigators they believe Olivia was never terminally ill to begin with. Lonnie says that made him sick to his stomach. That put another dagger in my heart. What was she thinking when I didn't do anything? You know, her mother said take a little popsicle juice on the sponge you put it on her lips and stuff, you know? But what was she thinking of me not giving her food or feeding her, you know? And that haunts me every single night since I found out she was not terminally ill and she wasn't even sick and they tortured her for five years. It haunts me every single night. When she passed away, her death was recorded as intestinal failure as a complication of multiple medical conditions that had plagued her life. By the time Olivia Gant died at age seven, she'd spent nearly three quarters of her life shuffling in and out of hospitals for treatment of the host of illnesses her mother said she had. But then, in 2018, tragedy would appear to strike again, when she told doctors that another one of her daughters was suffering with bone pain. She claimed that her daughter had previously had cancer and she was fearing that it had returned. Doctors made inquiries into Turner's claims, but they couldn't find any records of a cancer diagnosis. Suspicions began to rise and medical experts then concluded that there was nothing wrong with the girl and then this raised questions regarding Olivia's health problems. The new primary care doctor filed a report about potential child abuse with the state and an investigation then began. Following this, her body was exhumed for tests and an investigation commenced. We are going to end this part here so that we don't bombard you with too much information in one go. And we've all got a bit of time to process it all. If you enjoyed this episode and you're on YouTube, please give us a like, comment and subscribe for part two. If you're listening to us on Spotify and you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and follow to stay tuned. Thank you so much for all of your support. We really do appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.